Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, Jane Goodall. She's one of the great heroes of the conservation movement, known for her decades-long study of chimpanzees, how they use tools, care for their young, and care for each other. Staring into the eyes of a chimpanzee, I saw a thinking, reasoning personality looking back. Her discoveries prompted her to devote her life to animal conservation and fighting deforestation, balanced with the needs of local people. Goodall joins us, along with two international conservation champions she's inspired, to talk about the evolution of her activism and the future of the conservation movement. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. More than 60 years ago, a curious 26-year-old Jane Goodall entered the Gombe Stream National Forest in Tanzania with a notebook and pen and observed a chimpanzee she'd named David Greybeard use a twig to coax termites up from their nest. The discovery erased for her the divide thought to separate humans from the animal kingdom and radically shifted our understanding of what chimps were capable of, forcing us to question what we thought we knew about our planet and the creatures we share it with. What would you like to ask or tell Dr. Jane Goodall, who joins me now? Dr. Goodall, welcome to Forum. Well, thanks very much for inviting me. (laughs) I have often wondered, I must say, what it felt like for you to see a chimpanzee stripping a stick of its leaves, fishing for termites, or or even using a leaf as a sponge and and teaching each other how to do these kinds of things, because it's still mind-blowing to watch the videos of it now. Could you believe what you were seeing? Uh, Well, actually, I could believe what I was seeing because uh, there was a wonderful book written by a psychologist who studied a group of captive chimps, and they were just so intelligent. And everybody was saying, oh, well, that's because they're with people and people intelligence is rubbed off. However, seeing that first uh, use of a stem for for termite fishing was really exciting because science believed humans and only humans used and made tools. In fact, we were described as man the tool maker. So I knew that this this observation was going to really excite my mentor, Dr. Leakey. And indeed, it led to the National Geographic coming in to support the research when my original little six months grant ran out. Wow. Only six months originally. You know, yes. we, we keep learning 
things about chimpanzees. Uh, one more recently about their incredible capacity for altruism, but I imagine that is not surprising to you either. <laughs> no, it's not. And, you know, we see, for example, if a mother dies and leaves a little orphan who's uh, at least three years old, if he's younger than three, he or she will die because they need milk, mother's milk. But three years old, you're just about able to survive on solid food. And if there's an older brother or sister, that infant will be adopted. But if there isn't, then one of the other communities, even if they're not related, will adopt the child. And it was just so amazing to see a 12-year-old male, an adolescent, who normally avoids the big males when they're displaying and proving they're dominant. Uh, he, he just took on this little infant, let him ride on his back, shared his nest and his food, and rescued him from the path of a socially roused adult male, even if he got beaten up himself. Just amazing. Your work, as you've described, it erased what was thought to be the sharp dividing line between humans and the animal kingdom, and yeah. it just continues to disappear, that line. One of the things yeah. also is just our discoveries about language. Many of us see language as the thing that still separates us from animals, but there's these new studies, the one from the National Park in the Cote d'Ivoire, suggesting that uh, the, the nearly 400 sounds that chimpanzees make is comparable to a, to a language. Wondering your thoughts on that discovery? Well, you know, yes and no. They have many, many sounds to communicate, like the whales and the dolphins and the elephants. But it doesn't, in my mind, equate to human speech, because when yeah. we use words, we, are, we can teach our children about things that aren't present. We can make plans for the distant future. We can bring different people together from different disciplines to try and solve problems. And that, I think, has pushed the intellect of humanity into a, a new kind of realm. I mean, you know, we can, we can design a rocket that goes up to Mars and a little robot that takes photographs up there. And although animals are way, 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 way more intelligent than anybody used to think, from apes to elephants to whales to rats to pigs to, to octopus, you know, there's no animal that can use their brain in quite the way we can. And what responsibility do you think we have, the responsibility of our incredible capacity for intellect? Well, it's, it's the way that we've, you know, here we are, the most intellectual being that's ever walked on the planet, most likely, and yet we've lost wisdom because no wise creature will destroy its only home. And, you know, most people have seen that beautiful little blue and green globe surrounded by the immense darkness of outer space, seen from outside, looking down at planet Earth, our only home. And we're just destroying it. We're destroying the forests. We're polluting the air, the water, and the land. And it, it's just tragic, actually. You know, we invited listeners ahead of the show to send their questions for you to us. And Stephen wrote, do you have any ideas about how to sensitize humans to the suffering they are causing, that they're causing to animals? Well, I mean, this is why I'm still traveling the world about 300 days a year. I think the best way is telling stories, but we can also tell stories with words, uh, written and spoken 
and we can tell wonderful stories with, with um, pictures. So when one of the things that really, really keeps me awake at night is the way we treat farmed animals in these factory farms and cattle lots. And it is so horribly cruel. And then when we realize each single one of those animals is an individual, an individual with a personality and capable of feeling fear and pain. So one way that animal rights people like to show, you know, try and encourage people to understand who animals are is to show secretly filmed footage of the cruelty. Hmm. But I think until you've seen pictures or heard stories of how amazing these animals are when they're allowed to be, then just a little flash of how they're treated in factory farms is enough to change people's attitude. Hmm. Well, along those lines, and I should remind listeners, if you want to ask Jane Goodall a question or, or tell her if she's had an impact on you, you can email forum at kqed.org, find us on our social channels at KQED Forum, or call us at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. Along those lines, Beth writes, as a plant-based, zero-waste home family, we would like to know if Dr. Goodall thinks we need to make tackling climate change more fun and less doom and gloom. People tend to love a challenge if they see the possibility of succeeding. Yeah, well, actually, this is a super question because one of my big complaints with the media is we do need to know the doom and gloom but they don't spend enough time talking about the incredible people, the amazing uh, successes in bringing nature back to a place that we've destroyed. And the more stories we tell about the positive things that are happening all around the world, you know, regenerative agriculture and so on, then people will look at that or listen to it and say, gosh, we could do that too. <laughs> I'm wondering what role you think even a little shame can play in motivating us. I, I asked because I was struck by something you said at a TED Talk 20 years ago, that you said coming to understand how much we share with chimpanzees and so many other sentient creatures gave you cause for deep shame. I'm wondering what role that shame played for you. Sorry, that gave me cause for I didn't catch for, that. For deep shame. Do you remember saying that or feeling that when you realized what chimpanzees were capable of and so many Shame, other sentient yes. creatures? Yeah. Indeed. We should be ashamed. We definitely should be ashamed of what we've done to this planet, what we've done to animals and to each other. And people tend to forget, you know, we're animals too. Biologically, we are the fifth great ape. So you've got orangutans, gorillas, chimps, bonobos, and us. What do, you, what do you think is essential for motivating people? You talk about the importance of the positivity, the importance of seeing and remembering the beauty of the animal kingdom and, and how we share it and are connected to it. But what do you think is at its essence in terms of what's essential in terms of motivating people? What is absolutely essential and what is disappearing is hope. And honestly, any thinking, reasonable person who looks around the world at all the problems we're facing uh, will feel depressed. You, you can't not feel depressed. But if you don't have any hope, if you lose hope, then you don't do anything. And that will be the end of us. 
So when, when these people tell me, well, they feel helpless and hopeless, I say, well, you know, what's something you care about in your community? Do you care about littering? Do you care about a new shopping mall being built? A forest being cut down? Do you care about organic food? What do you care about? Get out there, roll up your sleeves, get your friends to help. And this is what um, the Jane Goodall Institute Roots and Shoots program for young people is all about. Uh, young people from kindergarten through university, even adults, choosing themselves three projects to make the world better for people, for animals, for the environment. With the main message, every single one of us on the planet makes some difference every day, and we can choose what sort of difference we make. I'm so struck by what you're saying about hope, because yes, many a guest has said that a loss of a sense of a future curtails. It really does stop us from taking social action now. Um, Well, we're talking with Jane Goodall, primatologist and conservationist, co-founder of the Jane Goodall Institute, which is devoted to the protection of great apes and their habitats. Her books include In the Shadow of Man, The Chimpanzees of Gombe, Patterns of Behavior, and The Book of Hope, A Survival Guide for Trying Times. And you, our listeners, are joining the conversation with your questions and comments. Catherine writes, Our first grade daughter has absolutely loved the Patrick O'Donnell book, Me, Jane. I especially appreciated learning about how much Dr. Goodall sacrificed in order to go to Africa to do her work and the barriers she encountered and overcame. That part of the story isn't shared as often. The best is the photograph of her at the end reaching out towards a baby chimp. I get tears in my eyes every time. Thank you for being an incredible inspiration and role model for girls who can see that anything is possible. We'll have more with Jane Goodall and with you, our listeners, after the break. Again, you can join the conversation at 866-733-6786 by emailing forum at kqed.org or finding us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or Discord at KQED Forum. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking this hour with celebrated scientist and conservationist Jane Goodall about her life's work. And also we'll be joined by conservationist She's Inspired. And I invite you, our listeners, to join the conversation with your questions and comments for Jane Goodall, your questions about conservation efforts, your questions about the relationship between humans or non-human primates. Uh, If you want to share conservation efforts that you've been involved in yourself, the email address is forum at kqed.org. 
Uh, you can find us on our social channels at KQED Forum. The phone number is 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. And let me go to Jack in San Francisco. Jack, you're on. Hi, uh, Dr. Goodall. Um, I just wanted to say that you are one of my greatest heroes of my life. You've inspired me um, since I was a child. And my question is, as a San Franciscan, what is something that I can do um, that would be most effective at helping chimpanzees and other great apes um, survive the future? What is something I could do right now? Thanks, Jack. Well, it's, it's difficult to say how you could directly help the chimps except by becoming a chimp guardian, joining the Jane Goodall Institute or one, one such organization. But what we all can do, one of the biggest problems that the planet is facing is industrial agriculture with its use of pesticides and herbicides and artificial fertilizer. And it's actually killing the soil. It's having a terrible effect on biodiversity. And it, it's, it's when agriculture becomes commercialized, industrialized, and particularly the farmed animals, because they all have to be fed, and there are billions around the world. And that means clearing huge areas of land to grow the grain, and it's usually GMO grain and so forth. Do you know we grow more grain to feed animals than to feed starving people? And there are people literally starving in many parts of the world. Mm. And all these animals produce methane gas in their digestion, which is a terrible uh, greenhouse gas. So by eating less meat, you can make a big difference to the future of the planet. And by the way, JGI doesn't only care about great apes. We have programs, particularly through our youth program, for turtles, for fish, for the octopus, for wolves, for bison. You know, we, we, we really do care about the the entire ecosystem made yeah. up of this complex mix of plants and animals. Would you say a bit more about your philosophy of conservation and your personal philosophy, which, if I'm understanding correctly, is vast and also needs to be balanced with, with the human need for improvement, to improve their livelihoods? Yes, it, it came to a head when I was flying over the tiny Gombe National Park when I began in 1960, it was part of a great, almost unbroken stretch of forest across equatorial Africa. By the late 1980s, I looked down on this little island of forest and all around were bare hills with more people living there than the land could support, over-farmed land that was useless, uh, too poor to buy food elsewhere. So they were destroying the environment and thus all the creatures living in it to survive, tree, cutting down trees to sell for timber or to make charcoal. And it hit me then, if we don't help these people find ways of making a living without destroying their environment, we can't save chimpanzees, forests, or anything else. And so that began Takari, our method of community-led conservation, which has been super successful. No more bare hills around Gombe anymore. But how do you resolve it when the needs of people and animals are in tension? I imagine that must happen. Well, yes, it does. And human-animal conflict is one of the problems that conservationists are working on. With chimps, for example, 
if we go further into their habitat, they lose a lot of their natural food and they may learn to raid crops, the answer, grow wide bands of something that's commercially valuable, but chimps don't like to eat, like sunflowers. They don't like sunflower seeds. So there are all kinds of clever ways. And, you know, one of the ways is that we are so wasteful of food. Animals like rats and stray dogs get so much food from the stuff that we throw out. And, you know, we can talk for ages about different ways. People mustn't feed wild animals like monkeys because they can then get aggressive if food is withheld. Bears, the same. Well, Amy writes, I was blessed to attend a talk with Jane Goodall at the University of Montana in Missoula last summer. It was incredible. She was so uplifting. It was astonishing to me. When there's so much to be concerned about, she gave us help and inspiration, along with a lot of great stories. Thank you, Jane, for all you do and continue to do for our planet and its inhabitants. This listener asks, what do we misunderstand about chimpanzees now? Uh, what do we misunderstand? I put different people will misunderstand different things, won't they? Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know that I can answer that, but uh, I do some wonder. People, yeah, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, go on. Well, I do wonder you, what you feel like you're still learning or that still surprises you <laughs> that you're learning you know, about chimpanzees if, if there are things. Well, in our 63rd year at Gombe, we're still learning new things and they're not always nice things. So, you know, a couple more examples of cannibalism that we don't understand. Uh, But at at the same time, because of this long-term nature of the study, we're now able to look at the, just starting the fifth generation since I first arrived. And so you can start learning about what is genetically determined uh, in behavior and what, what is the result of experience in early life, for example. So it's continually learning and being fascinated by the different personalities, the different relationships, the different ways that males attain top-ranking status, the change in range as one community has more males and drives the other further away. So, you know, it's all just totally fascinating. Well, Grace writes, I saw her speak in Colorado, and she's responsible for me feeling confident enough to pursue science. She also was the first person to embody how you can be kind and scientific, good at writing and data collection. My motto in high school was WWJD, what would Jane do? (laughs) That's what all our 27... Jane Goodall Institutes around the world, they, they all are saying, what would Jane do? <laughs> well, I, I do. Yes, go ahead. No, I was going to say it was true. When I first went to Cambridge, because Leakey said I had to get a degree, and I'd never been to college even, now I was going to do a PhD. And I was told I'd done everything wrong. I should have numbered and not named the chimps. I couldn't talk about personality, mind, or emotion. Those were unique to us. And I couldn't have empathy because to be a good scientist, you must be coldly objective. And all of that was rubbish. And I, I learned that from my dog when I was a child. It, it makes sense, I guess, why Grace just said that being kind and a scientist were at opposites. I mean, it sounds like you really were encouraged not to be. Yes, and you know, that's led to so much cruelty. Uh, in our Roots and Shoots program, 
There was a little 10-year-old boy when I was just in Tanzania where Roots and Shoots began. And he stood up and he said, until I joined Roots and Shoots, I never knew that animals had feelings. Now I'll never hurt an animal again as long as I live. Well, let me go so to ignorance. Yeah, ignorance is, you know, people need to understand, they need to learn, and we need to get, tell lots of stories so that people are interested and excited and want to help. And you don't have to be an environmentalist in order to help the environment. Anybody, anybody, whatever job, can do things every day to make the world just a little bit better. Well, let me go to caller Paul next. Hi, Paul, you're on. Hi, I, I understood that um, Jane wrote a book about native plant gardening and how that's the most important thing you can do for the environment because that's the, our, our footprint on the planet. Oh, well, we, we, we do work in reservations and help the, the uh, people there, to the children, to learn about the old wisdom of the elders and how they use plants for different purposes. We also encourage schools all over the world to, to, to grow organic food without pesticides and herbicides. And of course, buying organic food, buying, eating less meat, all of that really, really can help the environment. Well, Jane, I know you have to leave us soon, and we're going to be talking with a friend of yours, um, Jean-Gaël Colon, the CEO of the Wildlife Conservation Network, in just a little bit. Um, you know, it connects philanthropists with a global network of field-based conservation leaders. And when we were hearing from our listeners about WWJD and so on, I am curious, you know, the most effective way for people to make a difference, especially if giving is the way that they want to make a difference. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, of course, all such organizations like WCN, uh, like JGI, you know, we need money to keep going. But WCN, I've been involved right from the beginning when Charlie Knowles had this great idea of bringing philanthropists together with those struggling to make ends meet out in the field doing studies in difficult circumstances. I think it's the most incredible organization. And I love it that we're working together, WCN and JGI, to try and solve some of the pressing problems that people face. And you know, we always talk about, we share the planet with these other animals, but we're not sharing at all. We're not even sharing with each other. Uh, Meg in Los Angeles is on the line. Hi, Meg. What would you like to ask or tell Jane Goodall? Well, my son, I'm going to cry, actually. My son years ago um, sat down at World Wildlife Expo next to Jane. He was very young. He's now 18, and he would very much like to be uh, following in her footsteps. And I was wondering what educational suggestions you have for for young people who want to be <laughs> well, um, basically, you know, young people need to decide exactly what they want to do and then follow their dream. So when I decided I wanted to grow up and go to Africa and live with wild animals and write books about them, everybody laughed. That's 80 years ago, except my mother. And she said, you're going to have to work really hard, take advantage of every opportunity. And if you don't give up, Hopefully you find a way. And I did. 
but I had to work to get there. I had to learn to be a secretary, and then I had to raise money for my fare when I was invited by being a waitress. And look where it's got me, following my mother's advice. It must have been a pretty incredible thing to hear from your mother, a very important thing, especially for the time. Well, I think, you know, the importance of mothers or fathers can't be overestimated because a child needs to be supported, supported in what they want to do. Even, I mean, if a little boy of five says, I want to be an engine driver, don't say, oh, don't be stupid, you can't be an engine, blah, blah. Say, wow, you'll be a wonderful engine driver because you know that little boy isn't going to want to be an engine driver for long. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jane Goodall, thank you so much for giving us your time. Is there anything you want to leave us with before we say goodbye? Well, I think, you know, again, the most important thing is to remember that every day you do make some impact on the planet. And some people can make it with a signature on a check that'll make all the difference in the world to people living in poverty or helping people conserve animals. But all the little things you do, the ethical choices you make, what you buy, what you eat, what you wear, all of that when billions of people make ethical choices, it's going to make a difference, a better world for our future. Well, Jane Goodall, it's been a pleasure to talk with you. Well, thank you. Scientist and conservationist Dr. Jane Goodall, co-founder of the Jane Goodall Institute, devoted to the protection of so many animals, humans, habitats. And uh, joining me now in studio is Zizek Colon, Executive Officer of Wildlife Conservation Network. Zizek, really glad to have you on. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I know that Jane has inspired your work, uh, that your approach to conservation at, at WCN is, in fact, informed by it. I just was wondering if you want to say a little bit about the similar question that I asked Jane, your philosophy of conservation. Yeah, Jane's had a, a huge inspiration on me and, and so many other people, as we saw from from the callers. Um, you know, very early on in my career, I wanted I wanted to be Jane. I wanted to be a primatologist, and I wrote to all these different people, uh, trying to see if I could um, have a job with them in Africa. Uh, very few of them wrote back. I wrote to hundreds of people, but Jane was amongst probably the five people who wrote me back, and she was already really famous. And this was in my early twenties, and we exchanged a couple of letters. And um, and I think that just showed just how dedicated she is to inspiring the next generation. And obviously, it's had an influence on me. And she worked closely with our founder, Charlie Knowles, from the inception of the Wildlife Conservation Network. And, and her curiosity, her empathy, which she said the academic system kind of uh, uh, went against, but her empathy, her dedication to field-based conservation, to listening to each other, to fostering mutual understanding and to collaboration are something that have really influenced my career, my approach to conservation, and are in the DNA of, of the Wildlife Conservation Network as an organization that we carry forward. So give us a sense of just what is happening with so many wildlife populations. You have raised the alarm about significant population loss. How do you grapple with that as someone who has been passionate about animals since you were a kid? Well, it's uh, it's really important to kind of balance this sense of urgency, um, the sense of of uh, of doom, of how much we have not taken care of our planet, with with a sense that there are, there are hundreds and thousands of people 
and millions of people, if we really pay attention, who do care and who can make a difference. And you've got to balance a sense of of complacency with a sense of being able to do something. Um, when you look at the threats that are affecting biodiversity, really, you're—I mean, they're, they're they're different across species and and, and across different locations. Absolutely. But you know, habitat fragmentation or climate change, a number of other factors related to human greeds or governance systems. Uh, when biodiversity is threatened, at the end of the day, human communities are threatened, and so we really have to uh, try to approach uh, those problems with intertwined solutions that take care of both people and wildlife, and that's the essence of what um, WCN tries to do. We try to ensure that wildlife and people can coexist and thrive for a healthier planet. Well, I want to invite listeners to join with questions about conservation efforts, about international conservation efforts that you are involved in, about their own efforts locally um, or in this country as well that they're involved in, that they have questions about how the movement needs to change, adapt to the situation that we find ourselves now on this planet. You can email forum at kqed.org. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or Discord. We're at KQED Forum. You can give us a call at 866 8667366736736786 and let me go to Ralph and Napa. Hi Ralph, you're on. Hi Minette's Ralph, how are you? I'm well. Go right ahead. Um great program. Thank you. I just wanted to say I appreciate your guest very much. I was wondering if you they've done anything like uh the special peace and coral where they do time lapse footage of long-term habitat loss Hmm. in forests. It seems like it'd be a lot easier to do with ground-based stuff. Ralph, thanks. So there's been a number a number of studies that um, that have been really instrumental in, in better shaping our understanding of the threats and therefore informing the solutions. Uh, it's not typically what the Wildlife Conservation Network does itself. Uh, our model is really to find uh, innovative entrepreneurial conservationists who are locally based and can support them. Um, most of the time they don't do research, they focus on conservation actions. And we will talk about more and learn more about your approach to conservation and who you support right after the break. Stay with us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about conservation this hour. We were joined by celebrated scientist and conservationist Jane Goodall. And we're joined now by Gigi Colon, Chief Executive Officer of the Wildlife Conservation Network, which connects philanthropists with a global network of field-based conservation leaders. And we're inviting you, our listeners, to ask your questions about the evolution and future of the wildlife conservation movement at 866-733-6786 by posting on our social channels at KQED Forum or by emailing forum at kqed.org. Now, one area that WCN is focused on is addressing the declining number of lions in Kenya. And I mentioned that uh, it really focuses on on how to connect philanthropists with field-based conservation leaders. And on the line now, we have a field-based conservation leader, Jenneria Lekki-Lili, Samburu Warrior and Director of Community Conservation for Owasso Lions. Jenneria, really glad to have you. I am so happy and glad to have you as well. Um, very happy to be here. You know, I'd love to start by asking you about your personal story, which I found pretty fascinating, that before you came to work on lion conservation, you actually viewed lions as your enemy. You you hunted them. Why? Uh, first, the Samburu community, I've been uh, a conservationist, but since ever, but I never knew that. Um, and I hated land because, uh, you know, they kill uh, my father's cows and all that. But I never knew that lions are going in a lot of threat within our continent and also Kenya. And they play a lot of role within uh, my own community. And that is what brought me in conservation by Ewas lions. When I realized that lions are in a really uh, big threat, and that is why we are now a community-led conservation. Why has the lion population in Kenya declined so dramatically? <clears throat> um, so many threats that are facing a lot of lions in Kenya, uh, especially at the habitat loss. You know, the land is shrinking, and that is the big the big problem with lions in, in Kenya. Um, and also retaliation. You know, when they come across the community, my livestock, or the, my community livestock, and then, uh, of course, people, uh, because of anger and resentment, they're getting very frustrated. And of course, they go after the lions and they, they kill. And that is the major problem uh, in Kenya that facing uh, lions population in Kenya. Well, how does your experience as a community elder, a Samburu warrior, how does that play a role, do you think, in in your community-led conservation efforts and bringing more people in to the conservation effort related to lions? Um, <clears throat> my community, the Samburu community, I've been a conservationist uh, ever before, and we never knew that uh, we are conservationists. We conserve and we believe in many ways of conservation. Um, and I was uh, very proud and very happy that uh, I am the first warrior and first young man to be a lion conservationist in Sambul and bring my community that, uh, you know, lions are going through major challenges. And it was lions uh, 
now promoting coexistence between people and lions by making sure for the first uh, place that um, the community are not facing a threat to lion conservation because of killing of their cows, making sure the lions where they are, uh, where they can avoid. And that is why we are community-led conservation. And that is why we are very proud uh, that um, lions live alongside my community and mean so much to my community. How have you been able to convince people that lions are not a threat? Like if they are killing their cattle and so on, what have you found has been successful in helping to shift that view? Um, I was uh, lucky to be the first warrior, and uh, that's where the, the Warrior Wash program began. Is anytime I go to any conflict where the lions come across to uh, community livestock, such as cows or uh, camels, the first people to meet is actually the warriors. And that's why I brought the my demo, uh, demographic of warriors into land conservation because they are very neglective um you know group of people within the society in in uh, wildlife conservation to bring them and make them to understand how the wildlife are going in a very difficult and especially the, the lions hmm. how are the lions a very difficult way of living in this uh, landscape, landscape, especially with climate change. Um, you know, um, there are few wildlife prey, and that's why they are preying on your livestock, so many population of humans and livestock. So that is how I brought the Warrior Watch program into land conservation. It sounds like they're also involved in, in decision-making, in the decision-making process. Yes, yes, we have never been uh, into uh, conservation decision making, and uh, they are, they play a very big role within the society because uh, they can see what you can never see, because they move with their livestock from one place to another because of uh, the 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 pasture and water, and they can see they're always in the bush and they can come across all this wildlife and they can tell us what is up there. And uh, that is why Mm. we bring them into conservation decision-making and making our project, Westlands, into community-led conservation so that at least they can tell us what to do, what to make our corrections, and how should we like coexist? How can we live alongside all this to our wildlife? That means so much to my community. Mm. That is so interesting. That that makes a lot of sense in terms of the knowledge that only they they can have and can share and can enrich your understanding and your conservation efforts. So, Jenneria, I understand you'll be coming to San Francisco in a few weeks. Is that right? Yes, of course. Yes, um, and I'm looking forward for it, and I'm very happy to come for it and um, you know i'm very happy to share my favorite lions and uh, the special stories about uh, the favorite lions and the connection that i have with these lions how they mean to us to me to my mo- to my community as well you know lions mean so much to my community and i'm very proud to come to fan- san francisco to really share with 
everyone and the whole world how lions are so important to my community and my homeland. Can you share maybe one little story <laughs> that that you're thinking about sharing with folks at the expo um, about mm, lions? Of course. Of course, you know, um, I know lions better than my cows now. And, um, you know, I can go to my village and ask my brothers and my sisters and my mother who this cow is, but I can never ask someone about the lions, you know, and that is why I'm so proud about the lions. And I'm so happy that uh, we are coming there and share my favorite lion called Nanai. That is my favorite lion. I know she she's not longer with us, but she has lived so much legacy to myself. And I was today in the park, Sabur Natural Reserve, and seeing her cubs and so many other lions that they, she they they belong to her. And I'm very proud that I can share with the rest of the world about Nanai. Well, very proud, Genevieve. It's been really a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you, too. Lele, Samburo Warrior and Director of Community Conservation for Owasso Lions. Uh, you know, Zhuzhe, do you want to say anything about why that project in particular is so special to you? And I also am really struck by just, you know, the challenges um, that there can be in in protecting an animal that, that many people, especially initially, see as hostile to them. <laughs> I, I'd love to. I, I It's going to be a real pleasure to see Jenneria in a couple of weeks. I've had the pleasure of knowing Jenneria for, for many years and of spending time in the field with him. And um, and I hope that many of your listeners will be able to join him at the at the WCN Expo of the Wild Night Out, the event that Nikolai had the chance to, uh, to sit next to Jane Goodall to and be inspired by conservationists like her. Um, while people can have can do the same on, on October 13th. Join us at the Metreon. See, meet Generia, meet other conservationists working on, on penguins, on, on elephants, on gray crown cranes. It's going to be um, a wild night out and a lot of fun. Generia is, and the whole team at Owasso Lions uh, with, with their founder, Shivani Bala, and others have been part of the WCN family for so long. And, and their dedication and, and passion gives me, gives me hope. There are so many people like them uh, who have been uh, dedicating their lives, um, trading in, making huge sacrifices to to protect animals, but in the process, really making sure that their communities are better off as well, so that there is a way for people and wildlife to coexist uh, together. And that's been been fantastic. So I hope people get to uh, get to meet Jenneria in a few weeks. Well, I'm curious, what are the biggest challenges you find that conservations face in the field? It's a great question, Mina. Um, you know. There's so many different challenges, again, that vary from place to place. But I think uh, if I were to pick out two, um, the first is conservation costs money. There's no way around it. We don't just conserve things. We don't change the, the, the challenges uh, by just wishing them away. So it takes people. Uh, it takes resources. It takes fuel to get places. It takes organizing community meetings. There's a real cost to doing conservation. And uh, I think it's really hard for conservationists like Generia in northern Kenya or folks in the middle of Mozambique or Colombia uh, to have access to unrestricted funding. And so being able to connect um, 
conservationist to philanthropist is really important. And this is where WCN comes in. We really act as a, as a venture capital matchmaker, identifying some really successful entrepreneurial conservationists and connecting them to people who want to support their work. The other thing is, it's really, really hard to do the kind of work that Janaria or Jane Goodall or many of these other conservationists do. It's isolating. You're out there uh, working day in, day, day out, um, and you're wondering whether sometimes Janaria has literally put his life, his body in between uh, angry people who wanted to kill lions and those lions and stood there for hours to prevent that, that retaliatory killing. It gets really hard. He wonders, do people care? I am doing all this. Do people care? When your callers call in and say, this is really inspiring, when people come and show support at the expo, when they write a check, when they decide to make conservation their career, that really is re-inspiring to all of us and to people like Janaria. So for conservationists, it's very important to take care of their well-being, something that we can all relate to. And that kind of mutual support, that empathy, that understanding of each other is really important. We're getting insights into what it means to be an international conservationist from Jane Goodall, Gigi Colon, Janaria, Lekilili, uh, and also from you, our listeners. This is a fundraising period for many public radio stations, and you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. While the listener writes, conservation work is so inspiring. These efforts go beyond one species, impacting the land, water, the ecosystem, and the planet. Is it tricky to focus on one thing when so many species need help? Um, yes and no. Uh, I think I've been uh, fortunate to be a, a generalist. I have multiple interests, uh, and this is a beauty of a wildlife conservation network. Uh, we enable people to identify what they really care about and, um, and provide an opportunity for them to support those organizations. So we guarantee that 100% of funding that goes towards one of those species will go to that species in the field. And, uh, and people can make their choice. They could decide to support one organization or multiple organizations investing in portfolio projects through, through Wildlife Fund's kind of initiative. So I think it's a choose-your-own-adventure. Uh, you might be one person who really just cares about lions. Uh, you might be a person who cares about lions, penguins, and everything in between. And I think we've got to make room for, for everybody to, uh, to engage. What do you think have been some of the, the mistakes or challenges of wildlife conservation philanthropy? Like, how do you think it needs to change? I think a, a big thing that needs to change is we need to empower the people who are on the front line of conservation. The folks like Janaria, I'm sitting here in San Francisco. I've got, I spent some time in the field before. I have some ideas, but things change. Janaria is living this every day. So providing them with unrestricted funding so that uh, people like him, organizations that are on the front line can make those choices is really key. And that's something that's, uh, that we're trying to change at, at WCN is we guarantee that money that comes in, 100% of that, if it's designated for one of those projects, will get to those projects. So it's a really efficient model. Many, too often times, money gets captured and, and kind of trickles down and there's very little money that actually gets to the programmatic end of a stick. And this is really where those decisions need to be made. We need to empower Generia to decide what needs to be done today, which might be different from two weeks from now. He's in contact with all those things and all those conservationists in the four corners of the globe probably know better than those of us sitting in offices. Well, Scout writes, as a wildlife educator for many years, I've spoken with thousands of people about what they can do to help animals. My simple answer was always, it's with your fork. What we consume directly impacts both domestic and wild animals, from factory farming to the killing of wolves and burning of habitat by the cattle industry, as we individuals can make huge changes by not consuming animals. Let me go to Robert in Oakland. Robert, you're on. 
Hello, uh, this is Robert and calling from San Francisco. And I'd like to remind people who are interested in environmental restoration, green work in San Francisco, to contact the San Francisco Rec and Parks Department and directly with the Natural Resources Division, who manage lots of territory in San Francisco to do habitat restoration and other conservation activities. They need volunteers. They're sorely um, under, under uh, how would I say, they don't get Resource, enough volunteers. Yeah. So we need volunteers. <laughs> uh, that people can easily, uh, you know, get boots on the ground, hands in the dirt, and do some of this stuff and make a difference now, you know? Yeah. Well, so. Robert, yeah, thanks. Thanks for letting people know about that. So, Zizhe, I I do wonder, so much, especially during the pandemic, revealed for us, though we already knew it, but I think it just brought it into stark relief, just how much human suffering there is. And Mm -hmm. I do wonder, and how much inequity and and just how intense those experiences are, those those differences are. And I do wonder, as somebody who works in conservation, if you still get asked, you know, why should I focus on animals and wildlife when there is so much human suffering? Yeah, we get asked this all the time. And I think uh, with our approach, our philosophy of conservation, of being community-led conservation, it's a very easy uh, question to answer. It's not a choice. And for people like Janaria, people who are in communities working to conserve animals, they're not just working to conserve animals. They're addressing the needs of that community. They're working with community members to make decisions that's going to foster a healthier balance between uh, the human populations and, and their environments. So they're looking at uh, programs that do uh, women empowerment. They're looking at programs that in, in Rwanda, uh, in Uganda, sorry, we've got a partner, Conservation Through Public Health, that looks at human health and imbalance with, with wildlife health. Um, many of our partners, Wasso Lion does one of those, where they... Um, they provide kids education programs. If you're if you're on the on the front line of conservation, uh, all of these problems are, are happening up at once, and you don't get the luxury of separating them. And so the solutions have to be just as integrated. Gigi Colon, CEO of Wildlife Conservation Network. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us here. My thanks to lead producer Susie Britton for producing today's segment. Forum is also produced by Caroline Smith and Grace Wan. Ashley Yang was our engagement producer this week. Marlena Jackson-Rotondo was our digital community producer. And uh, our engineers are Danny Bringer, Christopher Beal, and Brian Douglas. Our interns are Jericho Reininger, Emiko Oda. Our vice president of news is Ethan tobin Lindsay, And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Mina Kim. Have a great weekend. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, the Heising Simons Foundation, and the Bernard Osher Foundation, supporting higher education and the arts. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.